Welcome to Repose, a podcast for restless minds. I invite you to lie back, close your eyes, and relax. Listen to short stories from around the world that will take you to other places temporarily while you drift off to sleep. The Artist by Shifra Steinberg The unbearable thing about living is not so much being, but being oneself. God put billions of us into the world and gave us all, as a joke, our own life and morals. The universe never planned on me or you, only some specimens based on the original model. Like a car, each made of the same essential central engineering, the only difference being the license plate. For a human, the license plate is their face, the accidental and unrepeatable accumulation and assortment of features which reflects neither character nor soul. My face is a particularly ratty one, with big yellowish teeth. My eyes are quick and clever, like a rat's, and my ears are slightly pointed at the top. The few hairs left on my scalp are gray, again like that of a rat. And when I'm not in costume, my clothes are usually of similar color. Every day for the past 50-something years, I've analyzed my visage through my small tabletop mirror, referring, with some slight aesthetic modifications, that very rodent face back onto a canvas. Throughout my years as a professional artist, I've painted some 12,000 works. Despite the monotony, I can't say I love it any less than the first time I picked up a brush. There is a constancy to it that is extremely comforting to a person of routine and habit such as myself. I wake up early every morning, at precisely 5.30, and make myself a strong cup of coffee. No sugar, no milk. As soon as the sun is up, I go on my usual walk through the woods behind the house. I have done this for 60 years, and at the age of 88, I can say it has done me some good. There's nothing like regularity for maintaining one's peace of mind. Whenever I am forced to exclude or exchange something out of my routine, such as with bad weather, it causes a certain upheaval within my body, like a new bird in a cage of canaries. At 11 o'clock, Caroline, my one and only friend, or better said former friend, comes by to talk and make me lunch. She is a very short woman, at least 20 years my junior, with an ashen face and a frosty, determined look which I used to appreciate. The lips are always pressed together, and her large chest sticks out like a plump, ruffled bird. A week before she ruined our relationship with that self-obsessed character of hers and sent me rushed to the hospital, she was making soup. I watched her put the pot on the stove and stir it with my long metal spoon until it came to a boil. As it simmered on the fire, we spoke, per usual, about my work. I confess, for how long it lasted, she was my excellent company. The bird-like creature that was just as lonely as me, just as desperate for human contact, and, had we met 
not four, but twenty years ago, perhaps we could have been more than simply friends. But I diverge. As I said, Caroline was my only friend, and for a man such as myself, brimming with bright ideas and equally interesting theories, I was quick to tell her everything, despite my otherwise secretive nature. Secrecy was, after all, pivotal in my line of work. On that particular morning, a day before she handed me her so-called present and promptly destroyed our friendship, I was telling her about my most recent painting. I have positioned myself on a deck chair in front of a big, sloping hill in front of my house in Chianti. The grass is freshly mown, a nice parakeet green. On my right, I say, closing my eyes, envisioning the piece. On my right stand two rose bushes in full bloom. The scarlet begonias are out too, and so are the hybrid lupins and the irises. Somewhere off in the distance stands a mysterious figure. The gardener. Or, no, I think I'll call him the messenger of death. An artist, Caroline, must always be contemplating their death. Lovely, Caroline said admiringly, her small, bird-like eyes opening and closing quickly, like wings in flight. You've been very fond of your house in Chianti lately, haven't you? As I said earlier, Caroline was excellent company. She instigated where I wanted to be questioned, expelled the things I did not want to address, and, most importantly, she was ready to believe anything. Of course, I do not have a house in Chianti. My entire body of work is a fraud and a lie. To those who knew the truth, anyway. Which is nobody. That is a small price to pay for a lonely existence. You can mold and remold yourself however you please, and create your own immortality accordingly. For the past fifty years, a secret plan had been brewing in my mind. After all, I live in Austria, the country of Freud. Like him, I wanted to create my own distinctive Casa Sue project. A personal stepping stone towards inevitable success after my death. Like Van Gogh, Egon Schill, Paul Gauguin, Amadeo Mugliani, Jean-André Fognard, and, in the process, give my life meaning beyond my life and transcend my human limitations. To be mortal is the most basic of human experiences, and yet, if one is really truthful to themselves, we cannot accept it, grapple with it, and behave accordingly. Man simply does not know how to be mortal. Can we be blamed? Every day, our bodies show marks of our forthcoming demise. My obsession with immortality began when I was 30, when I figured life wasn't worth living anymore. Instead of killing myself, despite everything, my Leben was incredibly strong. I decided to simply stop existing and start preparing for my reputation when I was no longer around to defend it. Immortality, to me, meant being loved by strangers while I could not even love myself. It meant living in the admiration of women, children, and men yet to be born. Since then, I've lived an isolated existence, alone in my small house here in the outskirts of Vienna, and changed my name to Gunther von Neumann. I sign all of my paintings with the initials GVN, and the false letters I write to myself all start with that name also. Gunther the Bachelor, 
Gunther the artist, Gunther the generous socialite, Gunther the flaneur, the philosopher, the Austrian Gadsby. Caroline, the antisocial house cat, was the only person I shared my posthumous desires with. After all, we spoke every day. As the broth sat on the stove, we made our way to the veranda where I worked during the spring and summer months. The room was warm and clean, the curtain wide open, four easels, each bearing a canvas, stood in every corner. Two were practically finished. Two had strange red brush strokes painted on them like Chinese characters. The art of painting is simply putting some strokes on a blank canvas. It's like having a drink before a date. It breaks the ice. Leaning up against the walls, some vertical, some horizontal, stacked on top one another, were my canvases. At least 300 in that small room alone. Upstairs in the attic, another 300, and in my storage room, which is full to the brim, another 400. Gunther is as generous in daily life as he is with painting. Gestural, quick, unsparing, blobs of paint cover the otherwise flat surfaces, none of which take me longer than a day or two to make. From my long veranda windows, one can see the garden. It is a fine garden with a small pond and two rose bushes. The wind is strong during the spring, making the leaves hiss and crackle as if on fire. Though I rarely sit outside, I have two deck chairs and a small white table for reading. This is the Chianti piece I was telling you about, I told her, pointing at one of the four easels. It's very beautiful. It fits perfectly with yesterday's pool scene. That's what I thought as well. I wrote this postcard to go with it, I told her, handing her an envelope with a stamp and everything. From Gunther to Rosalia. Never sent. I suspect people will wonder why he never did. Could it be a change of heart? A sudden bout of uncharacteristic anxiety? Did he hear a rumor? Was she getting married to someone else? Is there a new person in his life? Really? The options are endless. It's incredibly romantic. Isn't it? Tomorrow, I plan on taking Gunther and several of his male friends to a party in Florence. That night, he will return home entirely drunk and create a very fun, quick little canvas of his evening. Incredible. In a small journal, Caroline jotted down everything I said to her, her thin fingers darting from one side of the page to the other like a mouse trapped in a small room. Though at first I had been hesitant, the written word was as dangerous a thing if used against you. I also knew she was just as lonely as me, even more so. At least I had my cat. After speaking for some twenty, thirty minutes, she got up and went to the kitchen while I put the finishing touches on the Chianti scene. I could hear her cutting the vegetables and putting them into the broth. Some onions, a few potatoes, a handful of carrots. I was incredibly grateful for her presence and found myself missing her dearly whenever she left. After lunch, we said our goodbyes. I slept for some two or three hours, legs neatly placed on my ottoman, both arms crossed on my chest, snoring. Then, at four, I made myself a strong cup of whiskey to get myself ready for Gunther's party scene. After three hours of concentrated work, I signed the piece, ate the leftover soup, and went to bed satisfied. The next morning, I awoke at exactly 5.30, made myself a strong cup of coffee, 
no sugar, no milk, as always. As soon as the sun came up, I went on my usual walk through the woods behind the house and waited for Caroline to arrive with her groceries. She was in an especially chipper mood. She chirped about this and that, and practically flew from one spot in the kitchen to the other. For the first time in four years, she hardly let me speak. I admit, it was she who had, again, reminded me of my birthday. I liked Gunther's birthday more, which was in the colder, more romantic autumn months, far better than June. But Caroline preferred keeping to my own, and throughout our friendship she always came with a cake and made my favorite dish, Cassis Spatzel which was simultaneously the clogger of my arteries and the reason my heart beat. The strong odor of cheese and onions hung in the air and made me salivate. I have a present here with me. I can hardly wait to give it to you, she said. What is it? A canvas? The package was small and rectangular, wrapped in some newspaper, and Caroline had not given it such importance I would have overlooked it entirely. Of course not. You have enough of those. No, this is something I created for you. From then onwards, I forgot about the small box completely. For one, I had the Casaspatzel on my mind, and two, she simply wasn't the creative type. That was me. In my mind, anything she made had the same appeal as a cat with a dead bird in its mouth. Lunch was excellent. For a short moment, she had mellowed down. How I liked her and I was pleased to finally get some stage time to talk. I told her a long and, if I dare say, rifting story about Gunther's evening and subsequent morning, which I read to her from his diary like a snooping wife. The night before, he had met a woman with a round, tanned face, tight and glimmering with subtle inward strength that was beautiful beyond words, at which he stared all evening. I spoke for a long time, all the while, Caroline seemed to coil into herself as if jealously safeguarding a secret. In hindsight, I should have known her light gray eyes moved too quickly about the room, without her usual diligence and attendance, never settling on one thing for more than a moment. If I had been more observant, I would have noticed those small, faint, upturned lines of anticipation placed neatly on both sides of her mouth. I cannot simply wait any longer she said, as soon as I was done reading. Please open the present. Right now, I said annoyed. What could possibly be more important than Gunther's love life? Please. Well, all right then. I weighed the gift in my hands. Then I shook it. It was light, but not too light. Flexible, but not too flexible. It was almost definitely a book. Perhaps, she thought, I could find some inspiration in it for my next work. I opened it slowly, trying not to break the wrapper, though it was only newspaper. The cover bore one of my own paintings. A long dining table laid out for a feast. Tall candles stood equidistant from one another, becoming periodically smaller and less detailed as they disappeared into the distance. A great magnitude of shining silverware, three wine glasses per person, white tablecloths, and silk servettes. The title of the book was Gunther von Neumann, The Story of a Fabricated Existence. Underneath stood her name in shining white letters, Caroline Bauer. 
I reread the title several times over before the magnitude of the situation settled on me. A fabricated existence? Now everyone would know. That weasley, inhuman rat of a woman. She had stolen my immortality from me. She had taken it with both hands, threaded it, then day by day unraveled it and spun it into a web of her own. There I stood, at the age of eighty-nine, my deathbed calling my name, stripped from the very thing keeping me alive for all of those years. I was incredibly upset. I felt my breath escape my nostrils in angry whiffs of air. At the time, I couldn't help but laugh. A strange cackling noise which scared even me. For as long as I could remember, I had tried to outrun my existential fears by painting a life which was not my own. In reality, all of my work would have meant nothing more than a dinosaur's distant cry anyway. Tears no one would remember. Perhaps I should have focused on living instead of dying while I was still alive.